more of this on here. Oh, lovely. lovely. That's good, is that? Yo, Parkin, how you doing, pal? Bloody hell, where have you been? Oh, me, I love it. I've been exploring, me. Have you? <laughs> oh, wow, that sounds like <laughs> it's whereabouts. On the west side, I've never been. Right, we've been to the west side. He's looking to be right round Ireland. I've never been. There's caves and everything, mate. I know Rockles there is. galore. You should see, what, what have you been? How come you took me? You're not meant to go down west side. Whoa, 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 That's why, mate? It's dangerous down there, man. You've got to be careful. I didn't go all the way in. I thought well, I, I came back for a torch. I thought I'd go back with you. Those caves, man, you got to be careful. Got to be careful. Shit. Well, I were at rock pools first, and I was having a good fish out to get Jesus all sorts. And I saw yeah. caves, I thought, oh, I'll stick my beak in. Oh. Had a little look, and I thought, oh, I'll go get my torch. I didn't want to slip around. There's rumours about them caves. That's the thing. you got to be really careful. Oh, what, like? What, what are we talking? Well... You see, the thing is, it's these other caves in the rest of Scotland up there, right? All, them, all them parts. Well, there's rumours that what went on up there went on down here and all. Shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You what got stuff it. happened up Scotland? I'll tell you what. Why don't I cast my light out? Ooh, out. <laughs> a little special cast. Come on, you pull the kitchen chair up, right? And then we'll have a nice little sit down, Ooh, you know. Give us a natter about right. this. Right, I'll just get yourself a, do you want a quick pot of tea with it. Yeah, well? lovely. Yeah, lovely, lovely pot of tea. Let's get it outside. Yeah. There you go. I'll sit down as well. And we've got to introduce ourselves first. So, I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. And this is Kraken Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. And what I'm going to be doing is looking out some stories and things for everyone. But today we've got a special, I think. We're going to have to look out at some serious <laughs> subjects. Because have you heard about the legend of Sawney Bean. Sawney Bean? <laughs> no, I've never heard of it, pal. Sawney, as in a bait bean? No, he's not a bait bean. No, no but he's bean like a bait bean. No, it's a man. Sawney oh, Bean was right. a man. Ooh. And that's what we're going to look into now, you see. Cool. Yeah. Tell all. So what if I were to tell you Sawney Bean was a cave-dwelling cannibal? Ooh, sweetness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from way past, I mean, it's not like it's not happening anymore. You haven't got this sort of guy sitting there now. Sort of. <laughs> it's old jock in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just pulls up in his Ford Cortina to meet people every yeah. day and goes back to his flat. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was, he's, he's like a legend. He's a legend of Sawney Bean. And um, 
It's a, it's a funny subject to this because actually this subject it was a, it was a request was this? Oh, I hope yeah, from. it was a, uh, from Graham, one of our listeners. Oh, <laughs> GeForce. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a request. And I thought, Do you know, I'm gonna have a little look into this. We'll have a little bit of a read. We'll have a study. I'll shine my light out. And the interesting thing about this story is, I thought I'd got it sewn up. I think I thought I knew the story. I right. was quite confident. But the more I've cast out, the more I've dug down. Might have changed my mind. Ooh, so it's juicy. So the thing is, there was a popular legend that went through, and this is what we'll start with. Let's look at what the legend was, right? So, according to a newspaper, like a little tabloid called the Newgate Calendar, this would come out in about the 18th and 19th centuries, right? Alexander Bean was born in East Lothian during the 16th century. His father was a ditch digger and a hedge trimmer, and Bean tried to take up the family trade, but quickly realised he was not fit for this work. So he's a bit of a lazy ass, right? <laughs> a bit of shit in it, like. <laughs> a bit of shit, right? And, the, and one thing that a lot of people don't, don't look into is what Sawney means. Yeah, yeah. Right? Sawney means sandy. Right, because he had like gingery sandy hair, apparently. Right? Oh, I'm glad with that. You yeah. wouldn't be called that if you were a lass, wouldn't you? Let's <laughs> <laughs> call you Ginner, wouldn't you? Know, I've been one of the old flicking of me. <laughs> flicking of the bean. Sandy bean. <laughs> God, it works. <laughs> sandy bean! You wouldn't be doing it on beach, would you? That? Oh, God, I'd be oh, angry and red. <laughs> oh. Like like an LED, I just... <laughs> like a little Rudolph's nose. <laughs> no, <laughs> but the thing is, Sony, right, was a was a bit of a, a bit of an insult. It's a bit like Paddy, right, for yeah, the yeah. Irish. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a bit of a slur, really, in where was Sony. You know, it was like he was like Colin Ginn or something. Yeah, yeah. You know? But it was a bit, you know, like a Scottish racial slur. Sony Bean, what he did was he left home when he was only only like in his late teens. Um, with a vicious woman named Black Agnes Douglas, right? And she was meant to be, you know, meant to be a witch, they said, right? And she had the same inclinations as him. She didn't want to be working really hard all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, she just wanted to be kind of um, the easy route yeah, for Looking for an angle. Like. Looking for an angle, that's it. So what they did was they kind of ran away together and they started robbing, doing loads of robbing and stuff. But the problem was, because they were kind of outlaws, they are always just one step ahead of the law. Um, they, couldn't go, they couldn't go into villages and towns. And it was a very sparsely populated area, was this. Uh, the Galloway area, the East Lothian to Galloway area. And, and it, was, it was sparsely populated. So it's not like you could go into a town and say, oh, just go to the shops, because this is sort of, like I say, this is a sort of uh, 16th century, sort of 15th. They'd be lynching them basically. Go to the corner yeah. shop, get them, boys. Yeah. And so basically, they're just they're going bloody hungry. Uh-huh, yeah. So it came to a point where they cannibalised somebody. And apparently, this was just like, ugh, awful, hated it. But bit by bit, they got used to it and it just became the norm. So as they travelled around and went about that, they eventually ended up at a coastal cave in Benane Head between Gavan and Ballantrae. Or Ballantry, I think it is, yeah. right? And the cave was 200 yards deep, so that's like 200 meters wow, deep, just yeah, about, yeah. you know. Uh, and the entrance was blocked by water during high tide, so the water didn't go all the way into the tunnel; it all just went in a bit to start. Yeah, yeah. But it blocked it off, right? And the couple, they were meant to live there undiscovered for 25 years, right? 
Now, Sony and Agnes produced eight sons, six daughters, 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters, right? But all the various grandchildren were the products of incest oh. between the kids. So they're all just oh. like... Oh, what? Oh, what? Oh, and at least that cold game in Scotland and all family at it. Jesus. <laughs> just rutting away, right? So, lacking the inclination for regular labour, the Bean Clan thrived by laying careful ambushes at night to rob people, right? They brought the bodies back to the cave and the corpses were all kind of chopped up and dismembered. But anything that they didn't eat, they pickled in barrels, they saved it by oh. pickling it, right? So, but it got to a the point there were so many like bones and bits and heads and all sorts of this, so they didn't know what to do with them. So what they'd do is they'd go away from cave, carry them away for a distance and chuck them all in the sea. <laughs> but they started washing up on coast, you know oh, what I mean? Wow, yeah, yeah. Local people started to realise something wasn't right, you know. So eventually it got to a point um, that they were lynching people, the locals, because they thought, oh, this isn't, he's a stranger, he might have done it, so they're stringing him up. And then they started going after landlords because, because it was travellers. They started thinking, the only people who knew where these guys were, these travellers who were yeah, missing, um, there were, must be landlords. The landlords are running out and robbing right. them afterwards. So they're staying at their gaff thinking, right, I know where you're going to be in the morning. Bang on head. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That, but it wasn't happening. But they're still fucking stringing oh, up poor old landlords. Love, that's something about humanity. We love a good lynching, don't we? No, fucking that's true, is that? But the thing is, eventually, this all went on for ages, did this? So they're jumping and attacking and killing and all sorts. Mm. But one fearful night, the Bean Clan ambushed a married couple riding from a fair on one horse. But the man was skilled in combat. Oh, sweet. <laughs> and thus he deftly held off the clan with sword and pistol. Right? <laughs> Hero. But the bean clan fairly mauled his wife. Oh, right? my God. So they're saying that he basically dragged her down and just started ripping her a bit. It's like sort of dawn of the dead, you know what I mean? Shit. But he was still sort of getting the best of them. But bit yeah. by bit, it started to sort of like fade and everything. Yeah. No. A group of about 20 fairgoers came round the, round the yeah, corner. Yeah. You know, they waded in and oh, all out. Beautiful. And the bean clan fled. Oh. Right? So uh, they said, like, uh, what happened was they all went to the local magistrate and they told him what had happened. And and then he sent a, he sent a message then to sort of King James the Sixth, right? Yeah. And uh, he got like a posse together. Yeah. And they all end with about four hundred of this posse. Eventually, <laughs> but hunting the countryside. Yeah. yeah. Did they find him in cave? So they found him in the cave. They found him in the cave. And there's there's two thoughts to what might have happened next, right? Because they found obviously in the cave they found lumps of bodies. They found oh, jewelry, swords. Imagine onkers. Stink was meant to be the worst, you know. So the most common of the two stories is that the Bean Clan was captured alive when they where they gave up without a fight and they were taken in change to the Tollbooth Jail in Edinburgh then transferred to Leith or Glasgow where they were promptly executed without trial as people saw them as subhuman and unfit for one. Sawney and his fellow men had their genitals cut off and thrown into the fires and the hands and feet severed and were allowed to bleed to death like that. Wow. Right? And the... And Sawney was shouting his dying words. It isn't over. It will never be over. 
Oh shit! Yeah, that's what... imagine. I bet they want a pretty bunch though. Oh, can imagine oh. the inbred goons. Oh, oh. oh, a bit of wonky eyes. Oh, and... Jenny's and what? Hands and, and feet. Oh. Hands and feet. Hands and feet and Jenny. Oh. Oh. You won't be stood there, would you? Say? No. <laughs> like slipping about. Oh. <laughs> so after watching the men die, Agnes, her fellow women, and the children were tied to stakes and burned alive. Yeah, so that one maybe, yeah. Yeah, fair play there. <laughs> but the other, th- the other theory that what happened to them was that all that had happened was that the search party placed gunpowder at the entrance of the cave and they just burned it and burned it until all the oxygen in the cave uh, went away and they just died of suffocation, which yeah. I'm not sure that, you know. It's a bit of science tech, in it, in them days? Like, oh, let's measure the, you know, how long we need to keep this burning and stab them. Yeah. Sure. Another love of lynching, don't they? I think it's the old, uh, old chap. Well, the thing is, there's another legend about the bean clan which you claim, which is there's claims that one of the bean's daughters eventually left the clan and was settled in Gavan, where she planted a dual tree, which I, I had to ah, I thought the bloody hell's a dual tree, right? Yeah. And dual is a hanging tree, right? Which, in another word, means a tree of woe. <laughs> Ponder this on the tree of This is it. And so these things did exist. Wow. So there was like like these war trees and stuff Ooh. like that, right? Um, and they all quite often they were sycamore apparently because apparently it was quite a strong tree. Yeah. Um, but it was known locally as the hairy tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang off my hairy tree. <laughs> After her family were captured and exposed for what they were, the daughter's identity was revealed by lo- angry locals who hanged her from this tree. Oh, Paul loves it. At least he got away and she didn't want no part of well, it. An- another thing I read, which was one which was the daughter, the child, was only one year old when, the, when the, she was taken from the clan. Uh-huh. Oh, but apparently they held her secret. It was known all along. Right. And it was only when she got to 18 that there's a consider a woman and that she should face up for the uh, evils that her family did. Mm. And the bloody younger then! Oh, Christ. So that's one, That's another theory there, you know. It's bizarre, isn't yeah. it? So, yes, yeah, so that were it. That was the, the way that the Sony Bean Clan sort of meant to have, meant to have kind of carried on, really. That's just the rough outline. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're going to look at. We can have a little bit of a deeper dive into how things... fucking rough, I tell you. Yeah, Jesus. Well, well, the thing is there, there's a few few statistics, if you like, you know. Obviously, we're looking about this in the, 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 14th, the 15th century. Mm. Um, but we're also talking about how many people are might have killed. Right. right. Now, the sum that they constantly come up with time and time again is that they ate a thousand people. <laughs> Oh my god! But you think about it. Yeah. A week, how many times do we at shop? They're not going to no shop. Yeah, are oh, they? that's it. They're not down little all the time for all yeah. that sort of stuff, you know. We've got a family to feed, you know. But the other figure that has been quoted, right, um, is five thousand five hundred ninety-three. Mm. Now these are really specific numbers, yeah, you know. Yeah. And also another thing I find weirdly specific is that the the kind of know exactly where he came from. They know that how old he was, how many kids he had. Everything was seemed to be down to these exact numbers, which I found a bit weird, really. Yeah, you know? past but, the, like, yeah. but the problem is, there's no, again, as one of these things, there's no physical evidence at all wow. for the existence of Sony Bean. So no court papers, or Scottish court papers, or... Zilch, nothing. Oh. Now, if we're talking about the time that it was going on this, right, yeah. the, the issue you had was there was lots of famine 
and you know there were lots of things where droughts and you know, yeah, things yeah. crops failed there were the, the the animals got sick and died and there was actually an awful lot in those areas people were sort of basically starving yeah. and there's big talk like people would find be found sort of like in in, in forests dead we already were just uh, the limbs of trees gnawed in the hands with it because they've been gnawing bits of tree oh, and eating acorns. God, it's like bloody North Korea, isn't it? Yeah. Like chewing bark off trees. That's what, that's what it was like. Yeah, yeah. P- local park instead of playing yeah, football. Yeah, and it was it was just it was a super super tough time for them. Really, they had a really hard time of it. Um, so the were they I think the rumours of desperation and perhaps yeah. cannibalism sprang from these yeah, times you know Be- because let's face it now if somebody had been going around and eating kind of 5,000 people around around these parts I think we know about it because that would be the biggest serial killers that's ever lived there's still a lot of one here one there you know they seem like they're a pack hunter out of these lot and they're just like they're preying on the weak and the unfortunate yeah uh, Alright, they might have been hungry belly that day when they attacked that dude on the arse with his uh, with girl. Yeah. And that's why they were gnawing into a straight away. <laughs> well, that, I think that's, that's what it sounds like. There was this almost like starved, almost a frenzy to yeah, it. Yeah. And of course, they got, the kids had been brought up that way. That's all they knew. They were like yeah, dinner time was right. ripping somebody to pieces, <laughs> you know. Which, you know, but again, and they had like a, must have had like an animal cunning to yeah, sort of like yeah. to hunt at night and all this sort of thing. But caught papers in it, it would have been something, wouldn't it? The you'd sherry you'd have thought so, but again, it's like the time. This is the well. They see the, in the popular story, right? The guy on the horse fights him off with a sword and a pistol. So the time must have been when pistols were invented and people carrying them around and yeah, that sort of yeah. stuff. Not a rifle, he, he shot them with a pistol, they're claiming. Yeah. So that brings it into an era where these things could be perhaps be catalogued and that, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'll tell you now for free, right? The first thing I was t- I was reading about was that they're talking about with Sawney Bean. Was it was like an insult to the Scots to say, "Look at these guys; they're just these wild, cannibalistic, cave-dwelling monsters," sort of thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, but whether they were or not is to be is under dispute now. I mean, come on, if if there were somebody on this island, right? Yeah. We'd know about it straight away, you know. And I think on these coastlines where there were villages kicking about, you know, you're not, you don't just stick to your local little area. You know, mm. you're, as kids, you're out roaming and stuff. Yeah. Do you think they'd have found Sony Bean's cave? Because mm, that's what, oh, you need to know where it is exactly, don't you? In the local populace, and they can't be travelling that far every day just to knock someone on head and drag them back yeah. to the cave. Someone should have seen summer. Yeah, and there were civilized Scots. But I think they just died as bloody nails. Yeah, they? if Romans couldn't duff them up, you know what I mean. It's like they're not like a wild pack of loons, are they? Though? No. Like they've got to have some formation. They know the territory. Guerrilla fighters are like, Jesus, man. Yeah. Well, it, this is this is the thing. But again, like like the big rumours was it was actually just to disparage the Scots and make everyone sort of portray them as being a bit, a bit evil and a bit sinister and a bit mm. mental, you know. But really, the first sort of reports of Sawney Bean, they were appearing in what were called chap books or little magazines right. to start with. They were the sort of first sort of rumours. What kind of chap books are these? And they're like the old. Are <laughs> 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 they the equivalent, but with drawings? Well, instead? no, no. Chap books were just like these. Have you, have you ever heard of like a, what a penny dreadful is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That's kind of what it was. Ah, it, so it, some tabloidy kind of news. Exactly, tabloid, yeah. tabloidy news. So we've got a piece here actually in the BBC Scotland, right? And it says, uh, Scottish historian Dr Louise Yeoman says, it sounds like it's a plot from a box office topping horror. 
and that's because it's invented to serve a very similar purpose, to sell books. It also has a more sinister subtext. The books it sold were published not in Scotland, but in England, at a time when there was widespread prejudice against the Scots. Now, Dr. Yeoman says, despite most often being set at the turn of the 17th century, the story of Sawney Bean cannot be found until more than 100 years later. At the time of the Jacobite Risings in the 18th century, the English press regularly portrayed Scots in a negative way, either as a subject of ridicule or as having a sinister nature. So Dr Yeoman adds, the name Sawney itself was a popular English name for the barbarous cartoon Scott, and it's like calling a cartoon Irishman Paddy. Mm -hmm. The Sawney story was a dig at the Scots, a people so barbarous they could produce a monster like Sawney who lived in a cave and ate people. So the earliest dated version of the tracts surviving in the National Library of Scotland are from 1775. Mm -hmm. so, so that's all like um, that's like the late 18th century. Yeah, so that is a good one. Yeah. yeah, good hundred years later, you know. Interestingly enough, this is the year that Johnson and Boswell's Tour of the Hebrides was published. So perhaps the schlock horror story was cashing in on a bit of a vogue for strange tales from Scotland. Now this is an interesting thing, is this? You see, because. Scotland and the Hebrides and all these islands, it was like an incredibly foreign uh, foreign country to people. It wasn't like us sort of turning around and saying, oh, we can, we can get up to Scotland in four, five, six hours drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For them, it was an incredibly perilous journey. It'd probably take you a week or more if you could make it. Getting colder and colder and wilder. Yeah, and that's it. Well, there's just nothing there as yeah, well in yeah. some places. You know, it was, a, it was a tough, strange land. But these people, that, you know, because writing's becoming a lot more kind of... Um, accessible the printing press and things like this mm. so they're making these little throwaway yeah. uh, sort of things to go with the this great tour of the hebrides that johnson and boswell are sort of like uh, taking part in so but some sources place sawney in the reign of king james the first of scotland in the early 1400s but most seem to have him at the time of james the sixth of scotland around the turn of the 17th century right so it's the historical inaccuracy that's just said to be one of the reasons why Sawney Bean is thought to be a legend rather than reality. And I'm in, I, that's the thing that I'm inclined to agree with here. There's vagueness, there's no evidence to speak of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you quite rightly pointed out time and time again, where's the sort of magistrates sort yeah, of like documents and things like this, you know? Well, they're doing it in Scotland. They were doing that. What? They had the sheriffs. Yeah, and they yeah, yeah. The... They did do quite strict yeah. with things like this. I've got to say, when we're brave, Art, let me just get out of <laughs> fucking way. I've been wanting to say it for 10 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So I've looked it up now, right? And uh, Braveheart was uh, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, my brother. Touche. But, of course, it doesn't cover the plot of... Uh, is, is it William Wallace? He's yeah. Looking at, yeah, he's looking at William. And, and the era is it's 1280. 1280. Well, they were having a good powwow, weren't they? If you remember back at movie, I know it were a movie, not rest of it. Yeah. But, you know, they had the clans and they had some meeting halls. You know, they went from very out in the highlands back to towns and you know there was like, society exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. like just the wild country wasn't it you know no, no. back then well the thing is the, the things I've been thinking on a lot of this stuff as well is like yeah there's been a lot of rumours about because um, one of the things I heard which I've not actually found anywhere else was that when they went into the cave 
they said that the Sony clan had kind of, uh, the Sony Bean clan had mutated, have like these long sharp teeth, white, drip, white, like, almost like ghouls in there, right? <laughs> And it's true that to a certain extent, obviously, living in a cave all the time, you probably will go yeah. pretty nasty and pale. And you might, in the case, you might have long fingernails and things, but your teeth won't have changed or anything what like about that. about snapping out bones and that, they're like all broke up and nasty teeth. Well, you, well, this is the thing, we do, maybe they were, maybe they're just sharp through being broken on, on bones and things. But one thing that's been bothering me, and it kind of started to nag at me for a while, right, there's a few little pointers on this story. Right? The first one for me is the pistol. So the pistol, I think, dates it is going to be a little bit late, uh, earlier. I think it's an earlier story. Yeah. And if you're pushing the the year back to again the era of Braveheart towards <laughs> that sort of thing, there wasn't as much documentation. Even like the whole story of Braveheart and all this sort of malarkey, it's documented, but it's still vagueish. Yeah. You know, it's open to interpretation and and some sort of uh, law, uh, some sort of legend yeah, is allowed yeah. to attach to it because it's it's vague. But another thing that gets me. Is it's 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 a story that we know, uh, Sony Bean, right? I mean, I knew it anyway. But it's massive in Scotland. Is it? It's a huge ah. thing in Scotland. Is this? So although they're turning around and saying, "Oh, well, it was a big thing," we're taking piss out of the Scottish out down in England. Yeah, yeah. These seem to be really enjoy their own <laughs> monster. Yeah, yeah. And that's what really got me thinking. I'm thinking, is it really something that? That we've created to have a go at the Scots, and I'm inclined now to think no. I thought it was propaganda. Yeah, have a yeah. go at the Scots, call them all these nasty sort of like bone munching cannibals. <laughs> and no, I think it is one of their stories. I think there's more to it. And also, like we were talking about before, before a lot of written word stuff, there was stuff right around the campfire. Yeah. You tell these stories of these clans, and it might not be exactly to this, but I think the truth of the matter is that. It, I think it were real. I just had a little brainwave when you were talking. If you're doing it all it costs, and it, the government won't be bragging about it, the people will love the boogeyman and the campfire story, yes. but if you're in court thinking, make this disappear, because yeah. this is fucking gross, and it makes us look, English are taking piss already, burn it, get well, rid of it all. Well, if you look at that thing, what, what was said in that particular little stretch of the story, they said they didn't even give them a proper trial. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because they saw them as less than human. Yeah. So it could be the case that, you know, I mean, one thing that could be worth looking at is actually doing a proper archaeological dig within the cave. Because mm, yeah. I mean, even if, if you even went in there with like uh, metal detectors and things, yeah, you'd yeah. find I might find an old battered ring, bloodstained ring or something, yeah, some yeah. treasure. But I went from actually thinking, oh, it's just a daft story, to thinking, oh, yeah, I can see it's propaganda and things like that now. So, I mean, then I suddenly thought, this is too specific. Alarm bells went off in the head, yeah, aren't it? baby. The so, old casting yeah. came out, the old skills. The old skills came out. Well, it wasn't just mine, because eventually it got to a point, I thought, I've got to dig deeper and dig deeper. Right? And eventually, I started reading more and more about cannibals in the area, and I came across a book. Now, I started writing my own piece on this, my own little thing, and I got into it. And then I thought, oh, this looks like a good piece of research. And it's so good. <laughs> I've just lifted it. Yeah, mate. If it's yeah, good, it's good. really good. And now I'm going to give him full, full credit for this. This is a fantastic book. And this is called, <laughs> wait for this, Eat Thy Neighbour <laughs> by Daniel Deal and Mark P. Donnelly. Now you spell Deal a bit oddly. D I 
E H L. Daniel Deal. I might, I might be saying his name wrong, yeah. right? But it's basically a book on cannibals and cannibalism. Wow. Now, these guys have looked into this, they've really done the research, they've done the homework. And for me to sort of chop it up and stuff, I think they'd be doing a bit disservice. Yeah, no, because if <laughs> yeah. they've done the legwork, let's give him it up. They've done the legwork, right? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a little bit of a reason. Mm. Yeah, have, have, have a little slurp of tea. Yeah, have a little slurp, get a bit of that down, you know, <laughs> go on then. <laughs> That's better go on. Right, so this is a piece on Sony Bean by Daniel Deal and Mark P. Donnelly from Eat Thy Neighbour. Life in Scotland has always been hard. The climate is bleak, windswept and cold in the winter, and its infertile soil too often results in crop failure. Throughout the Middle Ages, life for the Scots was frequently worsened by the military adventures of the English, who burned farms and villages and dispersed the people in an endless attempt to subjugate them. The overall result of such a harsh life inevitably led to an unstable society, where violence and suspicion were endemic at the best of times. At the worst times, murder, both random and institutionalised, and on occasion even cannibalism, were accepted as simply another of life's grim realities. If Scotland was poor in most respects, its people developed a rich tradition of storytelling. Scottish legends are still among the greatest folkloric treasures in the English language. And one of the most famous of these is that of Sawney Bean and his cannibal clan. Most historians dispute the existence of Bean and his tribe, and it must be admitted that no records have ever been found to support the story. A part of the problem lies in the fact that, although the general story remains the same, its place in time has shifted from the early 15th century, during the reign of James I, to the end of the 16th century under James VI, who later became James I of England. There is little doubt, however, that from time to time there are cases of cannibalism in the more desolate and remote reaches of Scotland. In his early chronicle of England and Scotland and Ireland, first published in 1570, Raphael Hollinshed tells of a cannibal named Tristy Cloak who, according to the chronicler, spared not to steal the children and to kill women on whose flesh he fed. Although he gave no specific location for the tale, Hollinshed dated Tristy Cloak's story to 1341. Later in the same decade, as Hollinshed published his chronicles, Peter Lindsay of Pitscotty published a history of Chronicles of Scotland telling a similar story of flesh eating. But this was dated to 1460. So the first confirmed story of Sawney Bean dates from Captain Charles Johnson's book, a general and true history of the lives and sections of the most famous highwaymen, murderers and street robbers. And this appeared in 1734. But this too was probably based on a similar story which appeared 30 years earlier. The most popular and generally accepted version of Bean's tale is found in John Nicholson's historical and traditional tales connected with the south of Scotland, which first appeared in 1834. So basically these two writers are sort of agreeing with what we said earlier in the fact that they're, th they're thinking that yes, it was a story, 
And yeah, it might have been a bit added to to maybe disparage the Scots a little bit. And so, to give it like a bit of a recap, it seems that these two writers, uh, Captain Charles Johnson in 1734, who, by the way, was thought to simply be a London publisher, not a captain at all, and John Nicholson, who wrote the most accepted version of the Sawney Bean story a hundred years later, 1834, were not purposefully disparaging the Scots, but were in fact repeating a rather juicy and entertaining story from Scotland that had already been passed down for many centuries. Many embellishments have been added along the way, such as bringing the story closer to more modern times, the pistol, the king heading the posse of men, perhaps even the final immense tally of the dead. But it really does look like there was a cannibal clan living in the cave off Benane Head, and probably, through sheer desperation during a famine, had turned to cannibalism. Bloody hell. And because the earlier writers, Raphael Hollinshead and Robert Lindsay of Piscotti, who were writing their chronicles at roughly the same time, and they put the date of their cannibal reports of somewhere near the 14th and 15th century, with the only hard date given in any of the legends being his execution in 1435, this gives us a date to work from, and to work back from. And so basically, the, the writers of the book here, Daniel Deal and Mark P. Donnelly, have looked into it, and they've decided, and I agree with them, that it could be a true story. And what they've done is, they, they, with those limitations in mind, they've got the tale of Sony Bean as they've pieced it together. So I think he was born in East Lothian, eight or nine miles east of the city of Edinburgh, between 1385 and 1390. So they've managed to nail it down to that sort of time. He was christened Alexander after his father, but like many of his countrymen, he was gifted with a hefty thatch of red hair, and people soon began referring to him simply as Sawney, the old Scots term for Sandy. And although his dad was a hard-working peasant, you know, because hedge layer and ditch digger, not easy work at that yeah, time, you know what I mean? Graft. Yeah. So, from his earliest years, Sawney exhibited a wild unruliness. At his best, the boy was bone idle. At his worst, he bordered on dangerously violent. And eventually, Sawney took up with a girl who had a disposition very similar to his own, and together they were far worse than either of them had been on their own. Their brawling, stealing and half-savage ways ensured that they were constantly in trouble with both their neighbours and the law, and in exasperation, Sawney's parents turned him out when he reached his late teens, assuming that he was old enough and tough enough to fend for himself. But in no time at all, right, the other villagers followed suit and drove Bean and his girlfriend out of town, threatening dire consequences if they ever returned. So from there, they kind of roamed, just wandered the lonely, desolate landscape, starving, robbing, mugging, that kind of thing. And just as we said before, they eventually got to the point where they just robbed somebody, killed them, and they're starving. Gobbled them up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what they did. Yeah, beta, that's what they did. They got to the point they did. They got to, they pushed right to the limit, you know. So what, what they did was they discovered the cave, right, 
and it's located between the tiny village of Lindlefoot and Ballantree. They're still here, these little villages. Tiny little villages are still there now. Little fishing villages, right? And it's and it, honestly, you go on Google Maps and you take a little little ride, ride down the road. Oh, it's amazing. Have they found the cave? Does they know which cave it was? Then you say, Jack, look at the cave. <gasps> oh man, <laughs> good lad, good casting. You got it. Let's have a look. Oh, 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 look at the mighty moor of that. That ain't yeah. just a cave. That's like a... Wow, it's a cathedral entrance, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it looks, it looks yeah. pretty impressive, doesn't it? So, Ooh. inside. That's what it looks oh, like, cool. inside. Oh, no, my God. And that's looking inside out. Oh, just... Man, that's a closed... It suddenly tightens it's, up. It's, it's, like a, it's like a crack, isn't it? It's like a big... Damp crack oh, in the ground. Oh, just imagine they're going back to Flannan Islands and that water hitting that, you know, that, oh, uh, yeah. that cove and it's, you know, Boom. shooting up. Yeah, the noise of a malt family squat at the end of it with fire on, all chomping down on a lot of. What you have to remember is that goes back 200 yards. So what I'll do is I'll put these pictures up on uh, on our Instagram and Twitter. So at Twitter we're at Kraken Cove and Instagram we're at Kraken Cove Pod. So you can have a little look at these pictures on there. We've got a collection of little little shots that we'll put on there. Some very fine shots. Yeah. We so um so yeah so that cave it's situated at the foot of a steep cliff, and the cave wound for nearly a mile inside Bannon Head, leading off into one dark dead end after another and peppered with numerous rooms where they could make a home that was equally safe from prying eyes in the long arm of the law. And best of all, when the tide came in, the crashing surf surged into the mouth of the cave for nearly 200 yards. So that's what, I think that's what it means. So it does come in, it just looks like a big, wet, drowned cave. Yeah, and it isn't at the other end of it, a mile in. They're all snuggly down, safe when the sea comes in, no, like say, no one hunting them down. Or... Yeah, exactly, you know. The new home may have been safe and sound, but being confined to one spot presented certain problems to their livelihood as thieves. They might become known in the locality, and to avoid being recognised and followed back to their lair, they could simply kill all their victims, but this still left them with a problem of disposal. Not of their victims, but of the spoils. They could not take the money, weapons and valuables they stole to any nearby town to sell or trade for food or goods. And this was a very small and isolated world. And not only were all strangers suspect, but someone would inevitably recognise a plunder as belonging to a friend or relative who had disappeared. But if the beans never went into town for, or a village, how could they get food? They could always steal cattle, and cattle rustling was one of the most common occupations for Scottish outlaws. But it was also impossibly dangerous. A captured cattle thief was guaranteed to die on the end of a rope, and this did not appeal to Sawney in the least. So the beans may be morally deficient, and possibly even mentally under par, but they were not lacking in a degree of animal cunning, and soon the solution to their problems became clear. They would no longer waylay and murder people for their possessions. They would simply use the victims as a source of food, and eliminate the need to dispose of their valuables. So can you imagine they'll get to that point, you know? But like you say that bit where you kind of forget, you know, when you go back to them days, we've mentioned it in another uh, podcast, really, but that bit where it's, um, England didn't have a great deal of food, you know, they all yeah, turnip. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, pretty basic gear, yeah. But then you go to Scotland, you can't even grow up turnip, you know no. what I mean? So I've heard it in China, you know, we've got like the old uh, embarrassments with like the 
Wikipedia bit to the, you know, his history and all that. Yeah. They've got like about inside about eating your own kids or something. Yeah. So they've got like they've had bad famines there, and it's quite. A, is it that right? Because it's cannibalism, infanticide. Yeah, yeah infanticide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's infanticide. But it's like they're getting all the, you know, it's basically the, the, the embarrassment is it's the youngest. They always chose the baby. You know, when they got to the, you know, state of complete starvation, they had the youngest to let the, everybody else survive. Oh. It's like a great embarrassment, apparently, in Chinese or like, you know, it's the, the great unsaid. But you think it might be more common in Scotland that everybody, you know, like a little bit of a dark secret through families or Maybe history. So. And then, like, say this bloke, he knows about it. You know, it's like a, it's a career choice. Well, it kind of isn't, it isn't in a way. I mean, the way I'm looking at this is, um, I think it highlights that desperation, perhaps it's in all of us. It yeah. could be the case that, you know, you... Well, that movie alive, isn't it? You know, you, yeah. the, when the chips go down, what you got? Oh, the chips disappear. What yeah, that's it. There's no chips. Knowing <laughs> <laughs> on your leg. But as well, there was um, the, uh, these, a lot of stories, very, very popular stories. I think it was The Wreck of the Medusa, um, which was a ship. Because if I remember rightly, this is just top of, off the top of my head now, they the really loved these shipwreck stories where they eventually ate the cabin boy kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of these stories. And I think the, the, the turning point was The Wreck of the Medusa. Um, because it used to be understood that, well, yeah, you know, you're going to eat somebody because you're starving and you're desperate, and it's a very lurid tale. Mm. Um, but they were rescued were the, were the people on this particular sort of uh, uh, shipwrecked boat, what was yeah, left yeah. really, like a few planks and whatnot. They were saved, and then on the, the, the boat, boat with them, or the little wreck with them, was the bones of this boy that they killed and eaten, you know. Yeah. And they did stand trial for it. Right. But I think they, were, they got a lot of clemency because of the circumstance and one thing or another blah 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 you know what I mean and it was just one of them things um, so I think they got like a year's yeah, I thought it was his job I thought cabin boy were there for Randy Sailors and they get fucking <laughs> eaten if it all went wrong get bummed and buttered yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically his job yeah, bumming and barbecue <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the thing about it. You know, these these sort of characters. Yeah, well, I suppose that goes back to your thing saying as well, like the youngest eating mm. the youngest. You know, sweet tender meat of little lad. <laughs> you know. But um, but there's another point in this which I found a bit weird, really. So it said, oh well, not weird, but I did question. It said, assuming that an average adult human being could render up about sixty pounds of edible meat, the beans could survive on a single kill for a month or more. But the speed at which flesh rots presented another problem. Now, in a lot of the legends, they turned around and said, um, they pickle everything, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you know, it's simple as that, you just pickle it. What do you pickle it in? I'd say brine. What about I've heard of something like sea brine? Can't you do it like, can't you do it in seawater? Eh? Well, potentially you could in seawater, but it'd just what go is, off. Wait, what's brine? Just very, it? very, very solid water, oh, right, you yeah. know. But. This time, as this story says, but the speed at which flesh rots presented a problem. This time it was Mrs. Bean who stepped in, Black Agnes. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, Black Angie. <laughs> to prove she was a good and thrifty homemaker, she began to salt down the body parts with salt from the tidal basin in the sea. Oh. So, what you do is the way it works there is um, you get like little pools in your water. I've seen this done actually, yeah. place where you get the pools and like, the pools dry out, Absolutely. and there's a crust of salt. Yeah. And she's been using that sea salt to salt these little. And of course, as we were talking about the flamingos, yeah. 
that's the way they did the save the barrels of seabirds. Right. So they'd, they'd kill them, strip them, and they'd, you kind of pack them all into barrels. You yeah. squash them. Oh, right. So they squashed layers of seabirds, and that's better. What do you mean doing here? I bet you, know? you, you soon get to know to eat the uh, most offable stuff, you know, the stuff that yep. goes off quickies. So you're like, right, we're starting on that. And then, you know, those stuff that lasts the longest, like the foot or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is it. And, and what I'm saying as well, eventually some parts were soaked in ocean brine. Right. right. So the, I think what they did was they probably condensed seawater down again, evaporated seawater. Yeah. So it's very, very salty, right? And other tasty morsels were hung over the fire to be smoked like a fine bacon or ham. Yeah. So, and as they always said, but if things got a bit manky, all they did was get back up on the highway and wait in their little traps to get oh, things, you know. Like, you still got like skilled it. Yeah. That. Oh, crap. So, they, they, I mean, they carried on like that for, for 25 years. And this is when they had all these kids, you know. Again, if you think about the kids, time it takes to get 20, 14 kids on the go, 14 kids on the go, 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters. So, they're just all at it in like a. Horrible fuck bundle. The hills of eyes, I'm kind of gimping over at you. The hills of eyes is based on Sony B. <gasps> wow, you yes. throw a bit of nuclear in there, and it's like you got it. That's you what true? this is based on. Wow, oh, that's, that's a great. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, so bit by bit, you see, they got really, really good at this. It got to a point where they were operating with like military precision, yeah. you know. So they actually got to a point of thinking where they had rules of engagement. So long as there were enough beans in the hunting party, they could attack groups of travellers as large as four or five if they were on foot, but never more than two if they were on horseback. When the unwary passerby came within range, the ferocious feral beans would rush out of hiding, swarm over their victims and slit their throats and drag the carcasses back to the cave, leaving little or no evidence. So I'm th- and you're thinking as well what they'd be doing. They'd probably be eating the horses too, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, I just thought that when you yeah. said horseback. And plus, I bet they never did it on just one highway. I bet they'd be like, right, we've done north side, like, we've got to do east, we've got you know, like scale it around, randomise it. You know, well, that seems to be the case. So we're kind of working in areas. They work one area for a while, and they travel out to a di- different area and things. And I think this is what created this terror in the countryside because. It was like suddenly your area, people going missing, people getting mm. killed, and this is why the panic took place, why strangers were lynched, why um, why the landlords were strung up, you know, yeah. you know, because it just happened. Then it'd probably disappear for a little while, yeah. but then perhaps on the shore, body parts were, and, and it would, it'd wash up, yeah. and the terror would start again. But again, this went on for like twenty-five years, but eventually they slipped up. So the, the beans first, and apparently only mistake came. One day in the spring or summer of 1435, when they waylaid a young couple returning along the coast road from a village fair some distance away, just as we said, this is what the legend says as well, which again, accurate, you know? The man and his wife were sharing a horse, probably the only one they owned. The man rode in front with his wife behind, her arms around his waist. As they passed the point where the beans lay in wait, the clan jumped out, whooping and screaming, and dragged the woman from the horse before her shocked husband could react. As she fell to the ground struggling, some of the clan members slit her throat, lapping at the blood as it gushed from her jugular veins, (laughs) while others slit open her belly, pulling out her entrails as though they were field dressing a dead animal. 
while a poor woman lay on the road thrashing out her life. The strongest members of the Bean Clan tried to pull the man from his horse. In terror, he jerked back on the reins, using the horse's hooves as weapons. What laugh? <laughs> Scattering the beans and wounding some of them horribly in the process. In the confusion, the man managed to draw his sword, slashing to left and right, driving back his attackers. And eventually the man would have succumbed or escaped, but as it happened, while the struggle was still raging, another group of fairgoers, more than 20 in number, came along the road, causing the beans to scurry in all directions. Now it's this point that they go to the magistrate and he babbles his story to them and all this sort of thing. And then they then get this posse of 400 soldiers to come out from Glasgow. And the rumour was at the time that it was actually King James himself who actually headed the party. But, um, and he was very good at actually uh, telling people when he was up to action and doing yeah. things, you know. Uh, and so, but this wasn't catalogued anyway, so they don't think it happened. Yeah, it would have been showing off after, wouldn't it? He would have been, he'd been having yeah. a big old bus. And let's face it, if you're going to be hunting a, a cannibal mob, you don't send the king at the, at the head of <laughs> yeah. affairs, do you? <laughs> and what happened was they actually, they hunted around and it was it was bloodhounds that found the No wonder, yeah, you well, to make it. it easy with them boys, I know, it? it's right up there street, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So they they eventually uh, they are the ones who sort of like found the clan, yeah. and it seems that they've kind of gone in deeper and deeper. And it says here, through twists and turns of the cave, the men wandered, peering into one dark hole after another, until they came upon a stench-filled room, piled high with human bones. Some of the remains were obviously old; others were fresh enough for bits of flesh still to be clinging to them sending a runner back to the mouth of the cave. As many of the party as could scrambled inside, swords and halberds at the ready. Room after room now yielded up their terrible secrets. In some were piles of half-rotted clothes. In others were stacks of swords, purses of money and other trinkets. While in still others were human arms, legs and trunks hung from the ceiling and pickling in casks. And it looked like a butcher's warehouse. I move aside, Ed Jean. Jesus oh, Christ, yeah, these are fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Dug these up. Ed Gein. Oh, well. But once the horrified men composed themselves, they made their way deeper and deeper into the dank darkness until they encountered the Bean Clan. Shrieking and growling like trapped animals. The struggle was short and brutal, but the king's men eventually dragged 27 savage men and 21 women out of the cave where they were secured in chains for their return to Edinburgh. But weirdly enough, I've heard, I'm going to have to look this up, I can't, I can't check this now, I've heard that one of Ed Gein's favourite stories was the Sony Bean story. Oh, right, cause he liked all these stories, didn't he? He loved these he stories. He was like a literate, he used to read all He them. was a compulsive reader. Yeah, it's all horrors of Africa and stuff on it, and yeah. So in a weird way, you can actually turn out that Yes, the Hills of Eyes was based on this, but... You could also go back and say Texas Chainsaw Massacre was. Yeah. Because that was based on Ed Gein. Yeah. And Ed Gein based potentially his activities oh, wow. on Sawney Bean. Oh my god. From Bean to Gein. Let it go, So yes, yeah, so all the clan was brought back to the Edinburgh Tollbooth, which is where 
uh, they chained him up, just like a big old jail kind of thing. And it looks like, no, there wasn't actually a, um, a trial of any sort. It was just basically summary execution. Chop their arms and legs off of the guys. Yeah. Uh, there's no talk of the genitals, but then again, potentially, yeah. you know, that one of those things. And it looks like the, the common practice of the time for women and witches, anything like that, just burn them. <laughs> just chain them up. The women and children just burn them, you know. Now, I'm not stripping the whole story down to kind of its its, its bare skeleton in a way, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. what could have, what might have happened. And now reading through that for myself, I just think, yeah, it could. Yeah. 25 years, bit by bit, one person at a time, two person at a time. You know, the, you could have just picked these people off. There were no, there were no sort of, a, um, there was military, it was like militia, um, but there was no, no police or anything, yeah, yeah. you know. And they just got the Roman cage right quickly, out, bang, get them, drag them yeah. off. Just, and it could be the case that sort of um, uh, some of the people were missing might be sailors, and of course you got a travelling tinker going past from village to village. Who's going to miss him? Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to miss him. I bet people won't miss him just in muggings and carry-ons anyway. Yeah. So, uh, and also it's it's the persistence of the story. Yes, all right. The the same now. It's only in these little um, these little books and these little hints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things uh, from the uh, little chap books, as they're called, the yeah. penny dreadfuls. Of those particular eras that we were actually seeing the full rich story of Sony Bean. Um, but again, those little additives there, the, the, the truth of the story, the grain of the story, is yeah. kept all the way down. I personally think that uh, Daniel Deal and Mark P. Donnelly for uh, the, the book Eat Thy Neighbour, I think they've pretty much got it down to what it, if it's if it was true, and there's still no evidence for this, but I think the, those travellers who went up to Scotland and came back with these amazing tales. They didn't just sit up there on their asses. I think they picked up real stories and made them, embellished them, added to them. It might even be the case that Sonny Bean and his clan only killed, I don't know, it might be 20 or 30 people, it all told. It might not be thousands, but I think Sonny Bean existed. Yeah, I'm, I'm now here, because you just think if there's no food and you're a weirdo, it's going to get into one of these kind of situations, isn't it? It's odds on, you're probably going to find a freak of nature like that in some horrible cave doing it with his clan. Yeah, <laughs> his inbred clan. But the thing is as well though, Sonny Bean wasn't the only Scottish cannibal. Ooh. Now, if you remember earlier at the start of that little piece there, I read out, it says, Although he gave no specific location for the tale, Hollinshed dated Tristy Cloak's story. The story of another guy called Tristy Cloak. Tristy Cloak? Tristy Cloak. <laughs> now that's another thing that got me down. Another little thread was, who's Tristy Cloak? And I eventually found out that Tristy Cloak is Christy Cleek. Right? <laughs> These are creepy names. Yeah. And this is this is from Wikipedia, this. So I thought we'll have a little, just a little look at the Wikipedia story, yeah. right? So according to folklore, his real name was Andrew Christie, a Perth butcher. And during a severe famine in the mid-14th century, and I've looked at this, mm. it wasn't mid-14th century, it was about 1320-ish. Right. That's the one I've got it down to, yeah. right? But there was a very, very bad plague there. Uh, and Hector Boyle, Hector Bose, I think he's called. He's a he's a, um, a chronicler of the right, times. Yeah. He he records floods, moraine, and plagues of mice and ratones, right throughout Scotland in 1340. Was again I've looked and I'm thinking it's more 1320. But um, moraine is like a disease of the animals, so the animals just die. Uh, 
you know, right, something like maybe like foot and mouth kind of thing, something yeah. like that. And plague is a mace and on Letonis isn't mice and rats. Mm. So what when you got mice and rats having a big boom like that, if this happened about ten years ago over at the uh, well not far from the cove, we yeah. mentioned it before, when big plagues of mice just took over the fields and just ate all the crops. Jeez. Millions of mice in, just swarming this footage of it online. Ugh, like crazy. like a moving sea going over the road oh, just millions oh. of mice, yeah. I can imagine walking across it though. Oh, you follow and you stumbling oh. up a tree. <laughs> <laughs> So what the story is this, it says Christy joined a group of scavengers in the foothills of the Grampians. Right, and that's a big mountain range, is that? And I was thinking it's a great name, it sounds like a whale or a Grampian. But when one of the party died of starvation, Christy put his skills as a butcher to work on the corpse and provided his companions with a ready meal. Right, not a ready meal. (laughs) (laughs) And the group developed a taste for human flesh as, under Christy's leadership, they began to ambush travellers in the passes of the Grampians, feeding on their bodies and those of their horses. And it's how Christie went into the attack that got him his name, right? It is alleged that before attacking, Christie would haul his victims from their mounts with an iron hook on a rod. Oh, no. So he had this big, long pole and a big means he just scoop them and stab oh, so him with a hook. You're not even a chance, he's riding along, whack, it yeah, hooks yeah. through you. Hooks through you, right? And this implant was known as a cleek, <sighs> right? Or a ah. crook, like a shepherd's crook. <sighs> but it's not, and they call it a cleek, so he was become known as Christy Cleek, mm. right? And that's where he got, so that's where he got his name, right? So 30 riders apparently died at Christy's hands, and eventually the company was defeated by an armed force from Perth, except for Christy himself. Who supposedly escaped and re-entered society under a new name. The earliest versions of this narrative are much less detailed, recording only Christie's cannibalism and his methods of trapping prey. Right, but it became known as like that's like a, a like a local bogeyman, you know. Yeah, get yeah. to sleep, or Christie Cleek will come for you, <laughs> sort of thing, you know. And he'll come in with his come in with his hook. Now, there's not actually a ton of story about this, although I did pick up one little story where. Potentially, he had like a deathbed confession. Wow, like later on. Yeah. Or he's well, like postman or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, he's like, well, no, he, 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 I think he, he did quite well, apparently, as a businessman yeah. back in town. It's, yeah. you know, because the desperate times were over, right? And he, he kind of went back to his house and sort of, you know, and he, he, he kind of, uh, and then on his deathbed, he had kids and family. And they'd heard, oh, you come from that terrible area where Christy Cleek was yeah. and you survived. Oh, you know, and then he sort of said, you know, said to his family, you know, they're going like, oh, on his death, but he confessed his name. Oh, no, man. he wasn't. I want a victim of Christy Cleek. I was Christy <laughs> Cleek. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear that with your old man's oh, day, no. don't you? <laughs> Christy's exploits were documented from the 15th century onwards. So there's solid written evidence of him oh. from only maybe maybe 100 years afterwards. And for instance, Andrew of Witten's original Chronicle of Scotland from 1420 refers to a figure called Christen Cleek, who, during the time of the Great Default, that money were in hunger dead. Um, so that was, I mean, a lot of people died, sort of like, uh, died of hunger, you know. That he set traps with the intent of children and women for to slay, and swain that he might overtake, and ate them all that he get might. 
So basically, this is from 1420, the chronicling this guy was doing it. He's got fucking sitting traps from women and children. Yeah. <laughs> Nasty bastard. Oh, oh, that you know. is horrible. Man, <laughs> literally man traps? No. Yeah, so, so in a weird way, I find Christy Cleek a little bit more terrifying. Yeah. You know, than... than with these bloody hook and that. At least you could have a sword battle with other ones, couldn't you? You know what I mean? And have yeah, a go. Imagine the bean clan swarming out of the mountains towards you. And based, all goofed up and that. <laughs> <laughs> like some royal family coming here. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> I'll give up. How can I always spawn this? Because the next one we're going to look at, and this is sort of a bit of a strange one, is this, right? Because this is a story of the, another Scottish cannibal. Nice. But this one has been fully documented. Cool. Right? The Cannibal Earl of Drumlanrig. Right? So this is basically, it takes part in a place called Queensberry House, right? I have got a picture of Queensberry House, nice. so I'm going to show you a picture of that. Yeah. I've got, I, have my, I didn't manage to put that one. <laughs> right, that's Queensberry House there. All right, that's right. quite quite modern, doesn't it, really? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's quite a Good big, car, imposing yeah. residence in yeah, the centre yeah. of uh, Edinburgh, is this, right? And in a weird way, it's a potential that the house might be cursed. Right. It does look a bit amateur, Billy. I'm going to give it that. Yeah, that's it. It was it was built in 1667. Was this house? Right. So it's still there now. It's still in you know in good shape, right? But from 16 uh, from 1689, it was the home of William Douglas, the first Duke of Queensbury, right? Now that first Duke, his daughter died in the house under horrific circumstances because her apron caught fire, causing a terrible facial injuries from which she died. Oh, right? your face. When he died in 1695, the estate passed on to his eldest son, James Douglas, who became the second Duke of Queensbury. Now, this guy became a bit of a, bit of a big player, really, he was in, in politics and things. He had his ups and downs, he had a few sort of bad players and things. But eventually he became very instrumental in the forming of the Act of Union, which is when Scotland and England became one. We, we became Great Britain. Yeah, yeah. Right. But the only thing is, you see, this this guy, uh, James Douglas, but James had a really dark secret, right? And it was that his eldest son was referred to in many of the peerage records who have died young. And there's very little mention of him at all, with good reason. James Douglas, Earl of Drumlanrig, was completely insane. And from childhood he was kept under lock and key in a ground floor room of the Queensbury house. The room with no windows, boarded up and kept in permanent darkness. But he was a large, brutish boy of great strength and he was incredibly dangerous. So on the night of the Union, when everything was going off right in Scotland, so they were joining England and becoming Great Britain, it's a little bit like Brexit in a weird way. Um, so on the night of the Treaty of the Union, right, this is where we were becoming Great Britain, it was 1707. Yeah. So, uh, again, a little bit like Brexit, there was people against it, people for it, some people celebrating, some people rioting. Yeah, yeah. So it was kicking off big style, yeah, right? It really yeah. was, yeah. Really bad stuff. So so the Duke, perhaps he was celebrating the vast sum that he was going to get come his way for his involvement with these negotiations yeah, and things yeah. like this, right? Or perhaps he was trying to escape them all one way or another. He wasn't at the house that particular night, right? So, faithfully, so most of the staff, they were all off, right? So, again, they might be in their way celebrating and doing yeah, whatnot yeah. and things like this, right? But the, 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 young, the young Earl, right, he had a valley in charge of him, right? 
this guy took his eye off him. He was off doing something else, right? The Earl managed to break out of his room. A ten-year-old boy, that's all he is, right? He's <laughs> like Michael Myers, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he began to wander the empty house in a lust of hunger and rage. He stalked around the huge mansion for some time until the smell of cooking drew him into one of the many kitchens. And there he fell upon a young kitchen boy quickly overpowering him and he proceeded to take the poor child and attach him to a spit and roast the child over a fire <laughs> I it don't fuck about it no. <laughs> and it was some time before his escape was discovered and by that time he was tracked down to the kitchen and the mad earl was already devouring parts of the body of the servant boy oh right. ten year old kid oh. strapped him, cooked him and, and, and ate him right? oh, the door seems to be open I wonder where the wee yeah. little one is get the net but despite the duke's best efforts the story leaked out a nation already shocked at his betrayal that these so called nobles were dumbstruck by such an act of barbarism and the kid was known as the cannibal earl or the cannibalistic idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he was never seen again in public, right? He was spirited off to England and died there a few years later. Now, so that's the thing they say, he spirited him away, right? Nice. So this kid, right? So I've looked into it a little bit further, done a little Ooh, bit more diving. Right? Yes, right. So I've got the date of his death. He died on the 24th of January 1715 and was buried on the 17th of February. So that's a few weeks later he was buried, right? The parish register for Carveley, near Leeds, <gasps> West Yorkshire, Fuck off. <laughs> includes the burial record of James Douglas, oh Marquess my. of Drumlandrick. No, he's buried near Cove. <laughs> yes. <gasps> oh my God. Under the heading, Burials of Carveley and Pudsey. <gasps> But states, now this is something that nobody's got yet, this, but states that he actually died at Woodall and was buried in Lonsborough, which in 1887 transcriber interpreters Woodhall and Lonsborough respectively, stating that he appears to have died at Woodhall under the care of a Mr. Richardson. Now, in this, they can't understand it. This piece, right, this is in Wikipedia, they're thinking Woodhall might be in Lincolnshire or Wensleydale, but no. What these people don't realise, a suburb of Carvel yeah, is called Woodall. Woodall Lane? Yes. You know what I mean? Oh, it's in the what? Woodall Hamlet up there. <gasps> That's where he was, under the care of a Mr Richardson. Wow. How did he cack it? The dot saying, but he was only 18 years old when he died. Which, he had the taste of flesh already. Yeah, the taste of flesh. So what? I think they must have, whatever it was, they got him down here. Tucked away. Tucked away here, hidden, right? yeah, yeah. Now, I've done another piece of digging. Because <gasps> oh I'm thinking to myself, this is a long time ago, right? What buildings will have been kicking about in Carveley yeah. at the time, which were still suitable for an earl to be held at? <gasps> oh, my God. Carveley Arms? Not the Carveley oh. Arms, but just opposite there is Carveley Old Hall, which a lot of people don't know All about. Right, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm guessing... Just putting two and two together that he could have been kept at Carvely Old Hall. My goodness. And the strange thing with Carvely Old Hall, right, yeah. is but the hall was witness to dreadful violence in 1605, a hundred years before this, right, yeah. when Walter Carvely 
murdered two of his own sons there. Yeah, so there's a double murder there. So what it was, you see, Carvely Old Hall, right, mm -hmm. which is where we're thinking this is this is actually uh, it's a medieval manor house, a grade one listed building, right? And it's just near the Carvely Arms yeah, yeah. of actually similar age as far as I can tell. Right. So the two pubs are so the pub yeah, and the thing yeah. were, were probably This is a grand building, isn't it? The yeah. Arms. But the weirdest thing about it, it hasn't actually been altered that much. So it's in, still in a very, very pure state of repair, right? And it, it was, uh, it did have an addition later on to accommodate a wing was added in the 16th century by Sir William Carverley to house his very large family. And that was in uh, 1495, no, 16th century, 16th century, yeah. that's, when, that's when he changed that. Yeah. But later on, you see, the house was passed down to Walter Carverley. Yeah. Now, Walter Carverley is the guy who committed murder? Murder. <laughs> <laughs> so Walter Carvely was the eldest son and heir of William Carvely, and uh, nothing to do with a dim kid. Now this, yeah. is, this is another. This is another little thread. Is this you know? Right. So um, it, this guy sort of like he grew up and he, he went to college. He went he went to Cambridge for a while, but he didn't get a degree or anything, right? But um, he became engaged, engaged the daughter of a neighbour in, in the area. So he, he fell in love and everything. He thought that were all nice. So, yeah. But when Walter Carvely visited London, his guardian insisted on his breaking the engagement on him marrying Philippa Brooke, a granddaughter of Lord Cobham. Carvely went back to Carvely Hall with his wife, whom he disliked, hmm. and adopted a lifestyle revolving around drinking and gambling. And he soon ran through all his money. So on 23rd of April 1605, he received news that a relative, a student at Cambridge, had been arrested for a debt for which he himself was responsible. So in a drunken frenzy, he rushed his two eldest children, William and Walter, the former four-year-old and the latter 18 months old, right, and he killed them both. The baptism and the death records, burial records, are all at the church there. I've looked at them today. And then he stabbed up his wife, right, but not fatally. And then he then rode off to a neighbouring village where a third infant son, Henry, was out at a nurse, intending to kill him as well. Right. But he was stopped on the road and taken before Sir John Saville. Oh. Magistrate. Oh. <laughs> Don't mention the evil name. Yes, so eventually... He was committed to Wakefield Prison, right, was uh, was Walter Carvely, right? And after some delay, he was brought to trial at York in August. And following that, he declined to plead guilty or not. And he was therefore pressed to death oh. in York Castle on the 5th of August. Oh. Now, do you know what pressing to death is? You put loads of, you're in between two planks and they put loads of stones on you yeah, to that's you basically, yeah, yeah. jam. It's like in a giant vice, the sort of put, oh. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> pressure. What, with Jimmy then? <laughs> now then, now then, I'll fix it for you. All <laughs> <laughs> right, good pressing. <laughs> you can't wait till the eyes pop out of it. Just awful, you know. But this story, it caught the nation a little bit, right? right. This, this story of this, this terrible murder of his children, yeah. right? And it eventually was published, right? Was this as a play. Right. And the play was known as A Yorkshire Tragedy. Not so new and lamentable and true. Written by William Shakespeare. 
That is mental. Yeah. But and it was that's what it was published under. Yeah. Now the issue we have though is that um, William Shakespeare he, they did because he was like on a brand at the time, yeah, so yeah. he could guarantee to sell plays yeah. under his name, uh-huh. and he was kind of part of this as well. Yeah. But later on, it's thought that they actually discovered that it was actually probably written by one Thomas Middleton, right? Yeah, yeah. fucking like Fox Mulder, man. <laughs> <laughs> So Thomas Middleton was a playwright, of the, obviously at the same time as uh, as, um, Shakespeare. as Shakespeare and stuff, yeah. But he was just like a pretty old, he was a son of a bricklayer, and he raised himself to the status of gentleman, right, and eventually got property of his own. And the thing I liked about this guy, I'm not going to go on about this guy very much really, right, but he was just trying to be a playwright, he was working at the same time, yeah. he had other jobs he was working, and he was just, he was right, but he kept plugging away, did the lad. But in 1603, Middleton got married. In the same year, an outbreak of the plague forced the theatres in London to close, while James I came to the English throne. These events marked the beginning of Middleton's greatest period as a playwright, having passed the time during the plague composing <laughs> prose pamphlets, right? Lockdown. <laughs> yes. He became he wrote the, the Yorkshire tragedy oh, in, lockdown. in plague lockdown. Oh my god, you're messing with my head, Arky. <laughs> Jesus. The roads, the twist, the turns, and it's right on his back alley. And it's right on our back alley. That's that's the way it sort of Wowzers. goes around, you know? Oh, have you got any more here? Yeah, what have you got? <laughs> And he's related to us, that's what I'm looking at. <laughs> Scary, No, so really, all that, I mean, it, you could call that a little bit of a dead end of a story there. Because oh, the, the, but yeah. the thing is, it's what, what it just... It, it, I just found so many little twists and odd little things. The idea that we've got um, these distant Sony Bean was yeah. a, was a cannibal, and we've actually found another couple of cannibals, which were a bit strange. With it, Christy Cleek there with his yeah. nasty hook Ooh. again looks like he existed. Yeah, yeah. We've got ourselves James Douglas, the Mad Marcus of uh, Queensbury, <laughs> on his cannibalistic rage. The fact that eventually he was taken and hidden. Right by Kraken Cove. And then all that Ellie stuff happening later on, or would it be far? Yeah, no, 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 it's all happened, it all happened then, you know. It's yeah. obviously it's all very similar area, yeah, all about yeah. within a few hundred years of each other, you know. And the fact yeah. that that terrible, horrible incident meant that eventually, like I say, he died locally here. Ooh. Who's to say he wasn't wandering the caves of these areas? Ooh. So you don't know who's going to be where. And the fact then as well that the story was eventually written up under the name of, uh, of uh, William Shakespeare. Um, during lockdown. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, I'm not going near them fucking West Caves ever well, that's again. The thing, you've got to be careful, guys. Jesus, you mate. Know, you could be in there, you could get yourself in all sorts of trouble. Oh, so what you need no, to do mate. is stay on the east side, yeah, east side mate. of stuff. Uh, just stay clear at Caves. It's all right, go rock pulling, some good yeah, rock pulling yeah, on the east no, side. No, I'll just stick to east, get me crabs there, mate. I'm fine with Get your crabs mate. there, mate. Yeah, that's what you're going to get. If you had to, what bit would you eat? If, if you were just locked down here and we couldn't get out, if you had to eat, which bit would you go for first? See, if it was you, it'd be different, you see, because it was, it was just something normal, I'd go for the liver. <laughs> oh, Lovely, sun-fried liver. But yours? <laughs> no, no, that's like pickled. It'd be like as bad as them briny bits. A bit of Benny, what would it mm-hmm. Do you know what I'd have to go for? <laughs> Bubble butt. Oh! My bubbly bottom. <laughs> Tell you what, though, I bet it's a good, it's a, it's a nice rump. A nice piece of rump, you see. There we get that. But 
You'd be glad to hear. <laughs> That's what we've got for tea tonight, rump steaks. Have we? That's what I've been doing. I've been uh, cooking everything in pot. Are you happy with the idea? Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> well, tell you what, how about I put up a couple of nice veggie burgers on for you? Yeah, crack an egg on it and all or something. Just stay away from me tonight. <laughs> egg and chips will do me, pal. Well, I hope you lot have all had your tea out there already and you're not going to be feasting on human flesh. <laughs> <laughs> so all that's left for me to do is say goodbye from Matt and goodbye from Benny boys <laughs> sleep tight guys <laughs>